Welcome to Healthcare Highwire, where we balance business with healthcare. Sandy has served as Director of Clinical Operations, Clinical Compliance Specialist, and Director of Nursing Services. She joined LCS in 2013, where she is the Director of Clinical Services for our life plan communities. Today's host, Sandy Toole. Jennifer is the ANCC Accredited Provider Program Director and Mock Surveyor in the Health Services Division at LCS. She oversees the Life Care Services Accredited Provider Unit, which plans, develops, and executes ANCC Accredited Nursing Continuing Professional Development Education. Today's speaker, Jennifer Williams-Land. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Health Services Division podcast series. Today, we're going to discuss the new Phase 3 Requirements of Participation. I'm Sandy Toole, and I'm joined once again by my colleague, Jennifer Williams-Lamb. As a reminder, Phase 3 went into effect in 2019 with no surveyor interpretive guidelines. Then, on June 29th of this year, CMS has released that guidance, which will begin soon, October 24th, 2022. And it is our goal to help you, the listeners, understand each of those changes and how you can best be prepared. Each podcast will showcase one of the changes taking place. And today, we're actually going to be talking about two of those, physician services and nursing services. So thank you, Jennifer, for joining me. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Sandy. It's uh, good to be back here with you again and uh, to be with the listeners. And um, we're just here to help anybody that has questions about the Phase 3 ROP changes. And, of course, together we're working through each area, and uh, we'll have that better understanding and preparation for that October 24th deadline. Well, that sounds good. Would you Would you like to just recap for our listeners what they can expect from this series? Yes, Um, Each podcast covers one of the 14 areas with Phase 3 changes. We're going to utilize information provided to us from CMS, ACA, and Leading Age. And as always, we've referenced that State Operations Manual, Appendix PP. Um, That provides you the same information that your state surveyors have when they come to do your survey. So basically, we're giving you the playbook. Um, I would advise that you download the SOM and follow along so that you get the most complete information. Well, I think we've said it, but today we're going to discuss physician services and nursing services uh, and the changes therein. And it looks like this includes tags F712, uh, which is physician services, F725, which is sufficient staff, F727, which is registered nurses, F729, which is registered verification, F732, nurse staffing information, and F851, mandatory submission of staffing information, that which we all know as PBJ or payroll-based <laughs> journal. Every time I say PBJ, I feel like I need to run to the kitchen and grab a sandwich. Me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, oh my gosh, that seems like a lot of tag changes, but come on, Jen, tell me it's really not that overly complicated, is it? No, no, it's not going to be at all. Let's see, I'm going to dive in by defining the tags here real quick. 
Um, F712 is physician visits, and it states that the resident must be seen by a physician at least once every 30 days for the first 90 days after admission, and then at least once every 60 days thereafter. A visit is considered timely if it is completed within 10 days of that due date. The visit should be made by the physician personally for initial comprehensive and admission visits. F725 Nursing Services says the facility must have sufficient nursing staff with the appropriate competencies and skill sets to provide nursing and related services to assure resident safety and attain or maintain the highest practicable physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being of each resident as determined by resident assessments and individual plans of care and considering the number, acuity, and diagnoses of the facility's resident population in accordance with the facility assessment required at 483.70E. The facility must provide services by sufficient numbers of each of the following types of personnel on a 24-hour basis to provide nursing care to all residents in accordance with the resident care plans. And this is, of course, except when waived under paragraph E of the section, licensed nurses and other nursing personnel, including but not limited to nurses' aides. The facility must designate a licensed nurse to serve as a charge nurse unless exempted. F-727 states that the facility must use the services of an RN for at least eight consecutive hours, seven days a week, unless waived, and the facility must designate an RN as DON on a full-time basis. Now, the DON may serve as a charge nurse only when the facility average is 60 or fewer residents. F-729 states that before allowing an individual to serve as a nurse aide, the facility must receive registry verification that the individual has met competency evaluation requirements unless the individual is a full-time employee in a training and competency evaluation program approved by the state or the individual can prove that he or she has recently successfully completed a training and competency evaluation program or competency evaluation program approved by the state and has not yet been included in the registry. Facilities must follow up to ensure that each individual actually becomes registered. If, since an individual's most recent completion of a training and competency evaluation program, there has been a continuous period of 24 consecutive months during none of which the individual provided nursing or nursing-related services uh, for pay, the individual then must complete a new training and competency evaluation program or a new competency evaluation. F-732 states that the facility must post the following on a daily basis. The facility name, date, total number and actual hours worked by the RNs, LPNs, CNAs, and have the resident census. It should be clear and posted in a prominent location readily accessible to residents and visitors. The facility must also retain the information for a minimum of 18 months. And finally, F-851 outlines the mandatory submission of staffing information used on payroll data in a uniform format. Long-term care facilities must submit their staffing information to CMS and include information for any agency or contract staff used. The information must be submitted on the schedule specified by CMS 
and no less than quarterly. That was oh. a mouthful. Gosh, that was a mouthful. This just seems like so many new definitions and so many new requirements, um, mostly as it pertains to that nurse staffing. So I don't know, how do you think the surveyors are really going to interpret all those staffing requirements and staffing changes? Well, we know that CMS is working towards a minimum federal staffing requirement and are in the process of conducting on-site interviews to better understand staffing challenges. The interview process will continue from August to October of this year, so we've got a couple more months of that. Results of those interviews will be used to assist CMS in determining what those staffing levels will be. State staffing minimums are not indicative that the facility is meeting the needs of the residents. You should use your facility assessment to help determine staffing needs. The use of the PBJ data will aid surveyors in determining noncompliance with staffing requirements, such as whether or not it's insufficient staffing, a lack of an RN for eight hours every day, four or more days without an RN, lack of licensed nurses 24 hours a day, and a one-star staff rating. You know, I think this is perfect timing for bringing this piece up because, Jen, as you and I have talked about, we've had some recent changes in our staffing star rating on the five-star rating report. And, you know, I think we all find this very concerning. One of the things I think that's really catching us up with that staffing domain change is making sure, as you just pointed out, that you do have RN coverage every day. Um, If you're lacking four or more days of coverage in that quarter, you're going to drop. Also, just being very, very careful with your coding, making sure that if someone floats in and out from another department, that you recode that person appropriately so they get uh, captured. And then, of course, what's really important, too, is that prompt data submission. You have to make sure that your data is submitted um, as required. So I think this was a really good point to bring up today is this staffing issue. So, Jen, what kinds of things can we help to get the communities into compliance with these new revisions? Well, um, as we have mentioned in the past, we have new guidance forms with action item checklists for each of the new areas that have these new requirements of participation. So for physician and nursing services, the following action items will assist you in survey readiness. Um, You need to examine existing policy and or process related to physician and non-physician practitioners to ensure that the visits, signing of orders, and signing Medicare Part A certifications and research are conducted according to regulation. Educate physicians and non-physician practitioners on updated policies and or processes as needed. Ensure that payroll-based journal data is submitted in a timely fashion and is accurate. Um, Review your CASPER reports for PBJ. Um, The facility must have an RN on site at least eight consecutive hours a day, seven days a week. That means that somebody that decides that they want to cover for a coworker, they also have to be an RN. They can't say, well, I'll cover for you if they're not an RN. Um, Yeah, Um, it happens. (laughs) Yes. I think that people want to help each other out, and and sometimes the help is not really a help. Um, So that's something to be mindful of. Mm -hmm. 
facility must have a licensed nursing staff 24 hours a day, maintain adequate staffing throughout the course of the week, including weekends, and then finally ensure the daily posting of staffing and census information in a visible location. I can tell you that is one of the first things I look for when I enter a building. I want to see that hitting me in the face. Oh, good point. Yes. Um, as we stated earlier, um, we're here to provide the most up-to-date information and to provide these tools to assist you. The guidance forms with the action item checklist will get you ready prior to the October 24th deadline and keep you uh, up-to-date uh, beyond. So, Once again, Jen, just some really great information and I think a good start uh, to understanding the changes with physician services as well as nursing services. As mentioned earlier, as we learn more, or if CMS makes any additional changes or clarifications in the regulations, we will continue to provide that information through these podcasts and, of course, through our email reminders. Well, thank you all for joining us today for the continuing series of podcasts outlining the changes and guidance for phase three requirements of participation. I truly hope you're finding the discussion to be beneficial and look forward to you joining us next time as we continue our discussion. Thank you, Jen, so much. And I look forward to our next little chat. Yeah, I do too. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy. This is Sandy Toole and Jennifer Williams-Lamb signing off. I hope you will join us again next time on Healthcare Highwire.